So I want to begin our study this morning with a couple of illustrations that I think will help us to think through our consideration this morning. Uh, for months, I have been blessed to communicate with Amy uh, through electronic means, texts and emails and FaceTime. We also wrote the snail mail, uh, snail mail letters back and forth to one another. Um, but these electronic means are blessings of our modern era which make separation from one another far less traumatic than in previous generations uh, when they would send off letters and not even know if when the letter got there, their loved one was still alive or not. Uh, We are blessed to have something different. Through FaceTime, I was able to see Amy's beautiful face and to hear her voice, to sense her wellness. It's a blessing. Um... Now imagine if as the time of my departure or my return home came, I said, you know, Amy, this has been so wonderful and I've loved seeing your face through the phone and hearing your voice from 6,550 miles away. I think I'm going to extend for a year. I think that that would be settling for images and sounds through a, an electronic device rather than enjoying the real experience and all the senses of being in the real presence of my wife. And I'd say that'd be a bad substitute. A really bad substitute. To think about our subject in just a slightly different way, similar concept here. All around Qatar in the local shops, there were vendors selling counterfeit watches. They had the names and appearance of Rolex and uh, Omega. All these uh, fancy features that these brand names have, but yet they were not made by the manufacturer. And thus, the price of those watches was uh, drastically less expensive. For instance, you could buy a Rolex for about $55. (laughs) It's not the same. The question is, why do people buy these counterfeit watches. Well, they like the brand. They like the appearance. And they like the cost. <laughs> 55 bucks for a, like a $5,000 watch is a pretty good deal. The truth is, you're not buying the same product as the one that costs so much. You're buying a replica or a counterfeit. We're in Colossians chapter 2. I want to read the text and I want to try to make some sense of why I utilize these illustrations. I think it will be pretty self-evident. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16. God's Word says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world... Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle 
do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In our passage this morning, there is a warning against settling for a substitute. The major difference between thinking about a counterfeit watch and the price associated there, or the real watch and the price associated with that, the genuine substance is being offered to us with the price already paid. God does not provide you or me with a cheap substitute. He provides us with the real deal and He pays the price. The full price. The entire price. The battle is, for some reason, our human tendency is to scratch and claw with our own efforts to pay our own price for a vastly inferior result. Are you settling for a shadow? What can you do with a shadow? Well, you can you can shadow box, right? You can shadow box, and if I get the, you know, they've got it right there. You can shadow box, but what am I really hitting? Am I, am I really hitting anything? Nothing. Okay, what what if I try to run away from my shadow? How far am I going to get? Am I going to gain anything? It's going to be right on my heels the whole way. Shadows. If we were to summarize the essence of what we want to talk about this morning with one short statement, it would be this. Jesus Christ is the real solution to our deepest problems. Jesus Christ is the real solution to our deepest problems. It starts in verse 16 by saying, therefore. It's a great way to start a new paragraph. Therefore. This reaches back into the immediate context. And what we see in the immediate context is all, all of our sins have been taken out of the way. They've been nailed to the cross. This was done not by us, but by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He took our sins out of the way, nailing them to His cross. Thus providing for you and for me eternal forgiveness and eternal righteousness. Since all of your sins and their guilt, and the consequences have been nailed to the cross, the judgment thrown at you by others is meaningless. He starts by saying, therefore, let us not pass judgment, or excuse me, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. No matter what they say, no matter what their implications, 
their judgment that they render upon you means absolutely nothing. Because Jesus has already dealt with the ramifications of our sin fully and forever. This is really good news. You know, even the judgment that you feel from yourself is rendered meaningless. As we look at this text and try to break it down into manageable chunks, we'll start by considering this. People's judgments are skewed. Look to Christ. People's judgments are skewed. They're messed up. They're inaccurate. They're unhelpful. People's judgments are skewed. Look to Christ. Verses 16 and 17 says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in regard to food and drink, with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So people are going to judge. You won't escape that. There's no getting away from it. The concept when he tells you not to be judged by others is not to allow their judgment to impact you. Their judgment is of no account. It makes no difference. They can say whatever they want. They have all kinds of opinions. It might be someone that has a prominent position in your life. And if their judgment is coming at you and it is in contrast to what God tells you about uh, what Jesus has done for you, their judgment means nothing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, this is a great passage where Paul is talking about the fact that he, he wants to be counted faithful as a servant of God. Listen to what he says following. It is, moreover, in stewards, it is uh, appropriate that a man be found faithful. He says this in verse 3, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Pause. Oh, yes, you do, Paul. <laughs> yeah, you do. You all do it every day. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, Rob, do it every day. You judge yourself. Sometimes you judge yourself doing really well. And sometimes, probably more likely, more regularly, you judge yourself doing very poorly. Self-condemnation or self-exaltation. He's not literally saying, I don't judge myself. He's saying, I don't consider my judgment that valuable. So he goes on and says, for I am unaware, for I am not aware, excuse me, of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. I love how this ends. Will you read the end of this with me? It starts with then. Ready? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let that one sit on you for a moment. Typically, it is our thought process from the judgment of God that there will be criticism. You didn't quite make the mark. You didn't do enough. You didn't really qualify. You came up short. That's the feeling that we get from ourselves. 
That's the feeling we get from the world around us. And that's the feeling that we get from churchianity. But this does not say each one will receive his condemnation from the Lord. This one says each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. Here's the reason why this is so great. The one who is your judge is your Savior. The one before whom you will give an account is the one who took your sin upon Him, taking it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. The one who is your judge is the one who provides for you His record of righteousness. And so, as a believer, someone who has come to recognize themselves as a sinner, but Christ as a better Savior, your record of unrighteousness has been taken out of the way. And Jesus' record of righteousness has been placed on your account. And therefore, when you stand before that judge who is Jesus, you will stand and be judged in accordance with the righteous record He has provided for you. And each one will receive His commendation from God. In whom are you trusting? You want to trust your feeble attempts? That measuring up? You know what that looks like. Be honest with yourself. Saying this to myself as well, friends. My attempts come up short time and again. Oh no, when you know I'm reading my Bible, everything's great. Or I'm you know, in my office and everything's quiet, everything's great. Uh, in the pulpit, nobody's giving me any problems except the people that walk out the door because they can't stand it anymore. No, I'm only kidding. No one's giving me any problems. This, this is easy day. Easy day. However, after a long day, there's a lot of clamoring in the house. People are barking at one another and you're trying to help them to, to negotiate through relational issues. You're trying to show them truth. And that can tend to get a little bit challenging. Or you're out on the road and someone's cutting you off the first time. Maybe you're okay. The second time someone cuts you off, get a little bit harder. Third time, fourth time, fifth time. At, one of the, at some point, you're going to see your efforts have come to an, an exhausted and unfruitful end. Right? Right? It's all of us. It's all of us. Our Savior, who is our judge, has given us what we need. So, as we look back in Colossians 2 and verse 16, don't let people judge you about these things. Food and drink offerings, festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths. You know, these food and drink offerings were pointing to Christ. And He fulfilled them. Jesus said this in John 6, My flesh is true food and My blood is true drink. So, He's all you need. He's all you need. Oh, how about these festivals and new moons and Sabbaths? They were pointing to Christ. And they were fulfilled in Christ. This is why in 
say Romans 14 and Romans 15, it, it talks about not, not judging one another based upon a particular day of worship. God has already resolved these things in Christ. Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to... (laughs) That was pretty good. We'll try again. Ready? Let's do it again. Ready? He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Yeah, that was resounding. Wonderful. He came to fulfill it. He did. He fulfilled it perfectly. And you know what? He fulfilled it for us. He fulfilled it in our stead. We have failed again and again in our attempts at keeping the law. And we still do. But the basis of our relationship with God is not our fulfillment of the law, but Jesus' fulfillment of the law. In Romans chapter 8, he talks about the fact that it's not as though the law was a problem. The law was good. The law is good. It's weakened by the flesh. (laughs) The law is not kept because of the flesh. We're the the weakest link. Nobody wants to be considered the weakest link. Everyone wants to say someone else is the weakest link. The reality is it's, it's this guy right here. Weakest link. This is why Paul was able to say, oh, the chiefest of sinners... Why? Because no one else can make me sin. When I sin, it's, it's because that's what I have chosen. And my sin before the Lord, that's, that's where my shame is. But yet, He came into the world to save sinners and remove shame and to provide life and freedom. The Old Covenant made the people of Israel distinct from the other nations, didn't it? They wore different clothes and they ate different foods and they celebrated different days that made them distinct, but it never made them righteous. It never made them right with God. It wasn't intended to make them righteous or right with God. These are all, in verse 17, a shadow. A shadow of the things to come. So we talk about you know, food and drink offerings. Well, we don't do those. We talk about festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. Well, we don't do those. Are there any applications here? Yeah. All the religious things that we think will make us fitting before the Lord, those are a shadow. The substance is Christ. Coming to church... The shadow. Unless you come to church to see Christ. To magnify Christ. To understand who Christ is. And to point one another to Christ. That's when it, church is no longer a shadow and church is in line with the substance. Reading your Bible can be a shadow. Singing praise songs in your car can be a shadow until it aligns us with its purpose, seeing Christ. When our Bible reading is in alignment with seeing Christ, it's no longer a shadow. 
It's associated with the substance. But it's so easy to have the cart before the horse and put everything backwards. Interestingly, in verse 17, it says, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's what our English Bible says. The Greek literally says, but the body of Christ. There's a shadow of things to come, but the body of Christ. That's what it literally says. Soma tu Christu. But the body of Christ. The substance, the real purpose of who we are and what we do is to see Christ. And we sang about it as we were concluding our worship in song. Show us Christ. Show us Christ. The body, the accomplishment, the fulfillment, the it is finished is related to Christ. We have a contrast in this text between shadow and substance, between emptiness and fullness, between representative and reality. And it's not an uncommon theme in Scripture. I'm going to point your attention to the the boards, the screens to my left and right to, to look at a few passages of Scripture from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verses 1 through 4. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of the realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. Why? For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Shadow! 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 And then you have substance. Look at verses 12 and following. It says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He is the reality. He is the real deal. He has accomplished our salvations, our salvation. He's done this because... He is the substance. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Romans 11 talks about how God is. Uh, it, everything is from Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. Show us Christ. Do not succumb to the judgment of others. Do not succumb to your own inner conflict, you and I need to guard our hearts with the truth. Proverbs tells us this in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs or issues of life. Guard your heart. It's so easy to be distorted. It's so easy to be twisted. Don't allow the judgments of others to skew you. Instead, look to Christ. Secondly, as we move a little further in our passage, 
People's promptings are flawed. Cling to Christ. People's promptings are flawed. Cling to Christ. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. He starts this section, verse 18, with instructing us not to allow someone to disqualify you. Well, how can someone disqualify me? The concept is that of an umpire or to someone that stands in judgment over someone else. Last year, during the NBA regular season, the Boston Celtics were playing the Los Angeles Lakers. And it was coming to the end of the game. I think the, the score was 105-105. to 105. And LeBron James was driving to the hoop and Jason Tatum went to block his shot and slapped him on the, on the elbow. It was, it was a blatant and clear and easy to see foul. And the, the referee didn't call it much to my joy. And it was not so joyous for LeBron James. He, he looked like this. He had a temper tantrum on the court. I wish that I could show you the video because it was, it was, it was a thing of beauty. I've never seen someone react in such a way as he did in that moment. He was so angry. LeBron was livid. He had a temper tantrum because this human judge made a bad choice. Failed judgments. They remind us of the regularity with which people misjudge us. And the regularity with which we judge others. Jumping to logical conclusions. Many a fight has happened in a marriage because we're jumping to logical conclusions instead of actually communicating. Hey, you said such and such. This is how I understood that. Oh, that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> it can save a lot, of, a lot of heartache asking questions, sharing what you're hearing, Judgments, they're over and over. Additionally, uh, when people's criteria for their judgment is flawed, then you have real problems. Look at the list with which they're insisting to judge you on in verse 18. They're insisting on asceticism. That's harshness to the body. Why would they do that? Well, because as we mentioned last week in just a few minutes, um, they considered material to be evil and spirit to be good. Therefore, because material is evil, I'm made out of material, I am evil. So there are two ways of responding to my evil material. Either I'm going to self-deny it so it doesn't get more evil, or I'm going to indulge it since it was, it's only going to be evil anyway. Well, the particular brand of uh, people and theology that was, in, that was uh, here was they were self-denial people. So you don't do this and don't do that and don't do this. So they're insisting upon you judging life and spirituality the way they judge life and spirituality. And so they insist for you to be harsh with your body. 
also worshiping angels. The reason they did that is because they didn't they, they believe that, again, spirit is good. And there needed to be some connection between our evil flesh and a glorious spiritual God. And that was these intermediaries of angels. And so they would worship angels in the process of trying to gain some kind of a standing with God. And they would go on in details about visions. Remember? Anytime someone is a, an expert... They want to make sure they know something you don't know that you need from them. And these particular religious people thought that they could have the inside scoop going on in detail about visions. You need to hear from me. You'll only hear this here. No one else says this. Okay, if no one else is saying it, probably turn and run. We all have the same content. That doesn't mean we all come to the same conclusion, but there's got to be some way in which you're not the only one saying what you're saying. There's nothing new under the sun. Going on about visions, puffed up without, without reason by his sensuous mind, and a, a mind that is alert after things. This is what they're insisting upon. They want to they prompt you with all these things, but their promptings are flawed. People try to press their agenda on us. And sometimes we try to press our agenda on others. Feels like a high-pressure sales pitch, doesn't it? Sometimes it's about conservative values or liberal values, traditional things or progressive things. Really is not the issue. It's just it's whatever variety. Pressing, pressing, pressing. Believe my way. Think my way. Vote my way. Do things my way. It's always this self-interested perspective. Don't follow false promptings. Spiritually, they're the same kinds of pressures that people face. They force them upon others and sometimes they force them upon themselves. And the truth is, this is really important, the truth is that all of our efforts, even rightly intended, cannot produce true righteousness. Jesus made it so clear in John chapter 3. He leaves no mystery. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Right? There's, your way produces flesh. Only God produces that which is spiritual. He's going to tell us that in verse 19. Look at it. They're insisting on these things in verse 18, and they're not, verse 19, holding fast to the head. They're not clinging. They're not fastening themselves to Christ. They're, they're not putting all of their eggs in one basket. They're not relying upon the only one that can save them. Instead of being umpired, disqualified, verse 18, by these false promptings, people's regulations, their own agenda, there is a way to be fruitfully umpired. Did you know that? There is a way to be fruitfully umpired. Look at chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 15 and 16. 
verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule. Stop right there. That word rule is the same word disqualify in chapter 2 in verse 18, except in chapter 2 and verse 18, the disqualify adds a little uh, preposition at the beginning, kata. But the words are related. Don't let someone rule over you with these faulty notions. Instead, in chapter 3 and verse 15, let's, let this rule over you instead. Here's a legitimate substance to allow to rule over you. Verse 15 again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And let the Word of Christ dwell down in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here in this passage, we've been told not to allow faulty notions to rule over us, umpire over us, but then he gives us a contrast. The peace of Christ. The peace that comes from Christ. The peace that is Christ ruling over us. And the Word that is about Christ and proclaiming Christ. Allow that to dwell in you richly or abundantly. Next week we're going to get into chapter 3 and we'll see that Paul is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is our life. Real life comes from Him. People scratch and claw after getting you know, most, most of what they can out of life. They go to the gym and they, they strive to make their body better or they strive in their career. They're working hard to get the promotion so they can attain some level of professionalism they, they save their money and they have some agenda they're they're working at we're sc- scraping and clawing to accomplish these things people are trying to have their best life and there's nothing wrong with working hard i, I want to work hard as a pastor as a husband as a, as a dad i want to work hard in the military to to be a good officer a good chaplain to, to minister to people i want to work hard at all these kinds of things It's good to save your money and have a long-term plan. Work at it. It's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But know this. Without Christ, eventually, our lives come to an end. And all that you clawed and scraped for goes out the door with it. On the other hand, with Christ, no matter what else happens, Eventually, our real life appears. With all the houses and cars, dogs and ponies, great clothes or scrappy ones, life comes to an end. And then real life starts. This journey here on this earth may be fantastic, great things. I assume that there are also many, many challenges that we all face. Different from one person to the next, different from one family to the next, but challenges, we all face them. This life is not all there is. If it were all there is, we would be of all men most miserable. But this is not the end, friends. This is why we need to navigate through this life with Christ and look forward to the next one in Christ.
Why cling to Christ? These people are clinging to something else and they're not holding fast to the head. Why cling to Christ? He gives us life. Verse 19, He gives us life. He gives us nourishment. And He produces true growth. Look at the end of verse 19. He causes us to, with a, to grow with a growth that is from God. Who, who's the driving force behind that growth? It's not the asceticism, the worship of angels, the going on in detail about visions being puffed up with our own way. It's all about being attached to the vine. Abide in Me, Jesus said. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. When we're abiding in Him, there is a bearing of much fruit. Who's producing the fruit? God is. So, so what is He calling us to do here? Don't be allowing the promptings of others to sway you. Cling to Christ. Look to Christ. As we move to the last section here, natural efforts are ineffective receive from Christ. Natural efforts are ineffective Receive from Christ. Look at verses 20 through 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There's a lot here to, to talk about. and We don't have a lot of time. You know, it seems so logical if you have a problem with something, just stop. Right? You're anxious? Well, stop it. You're angry? Well, stop it. You're, you're coveting after food? It's called being gluttonous. Gluttonous? Well, just stop it. You're lazy? You don't want to get up and work out? You don't want to do anything? Well, stop it. There's a great skit about that by Bob Newhart. Look it up on YouTube later. Greatest counselor in history. Just stop it. That's what we think. It seems so natural. It seems so easy. It seems so logical. But this passage is telling us that is the elemental spirits of the world. It says in verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental, the rudimentary, the basic principles of the world. There's a a demonic piece to that. If you've died to this, why are you living or acting as though you're still alive in those elementary ways? In those natural ways? Natural efforts do not result in supernatural results. Natural efforts end in natural results. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Only supernatural activity results in supernatural fruit. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, this is a a recurring theme throughout Scripture. I want to draw your attention to one passage. Take a look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, just for a moment. Paul really uh, hits this same concept 
just with slightly different words here in, in Galatians 4. But again, he's talking about not allowing our human ingenuity and practices to be seen as the solution to our spiritual needs. Verse 8 of Galatians 4 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again, listen carefully, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Can you see the parallel here? Why? Why having known God and known Christ and been known by God and known of Christ, why would you go back to that which is inferior and worthless and and unable to help you? The X, Y's, and Z's of religion rather than the truthfulness of what Christ has provided for you. Listen, if you're struggling with cravings, they could be materialism, power, position, prestige, sexual cravings. There are human measures that you should employ to Try to ward that off. There's no doubt about that. You should probably, if you're struggling with sexual cravings, probably not turn on your device that's alluring you. Probably some some wise principles that you should employ with turning away from pornography. If you're struggling with certain um, matters of, of substances, you should probably have some patterns that are changed in your life so you're not following those same promptings. Yes, natural things. But one thing that has been proven true time and time again, human cravings win out over self-imposed discipline. If you just simply try to produce a natural remedy to your sinful problems, you are going to just fall right back into the same trap again. Your self-discipline will not prevent you from indulging in your cravings. Regulations seem to be a good way to go. But look at what he tells us in verse 21. Uh, End of verse 20. Why are you, as though you're still living in the world, do you submit to regulations? That's dogmatic ways of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These things are all perishing as they're used. Your natural stuff is only going to result in natural results. It seems like they're smart. It seems like they're great. Verse 23, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But listen to what he says. They are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Stopping the the satiation of the flesh. It doesn't satiate your indulgence. Great principles. Good perspective. Good effort. Great try. Fail. Fail. 
But what does he, what does he, what would he propose? There's an important word there. Satiation. Satiate. You know what that word means? I'm really thirsty. I'm going to take a drink. Thirst is satiated. Satisfied. Quenched. The don't do this, don't do that, don't do this principle doesn't satisfy. We need something better. We need something better. There's an an old song. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try and I try and I try. Nope. This is what happens when we are chasing shadows. We keep taking bites of air burgers. We chase after the wind and we find emptiness there. And too often, we only associate chasing the wind with carnal efforts to satisfy our sexual or material cravings. But there are similar effects of chasing after more religious satisfactions through fleshly means. If we're ever to overcome fleshly appetites, whether they're of the religious or irreligious variety, we need to find what truly satisfies. We need to find a substance greater than our cravings. Something greater than our cravings. Our Savior is such a substance. Not only is He all-satisfying, but He also is the powerful God of the universe. Why that's important is not only is He fully satisfying, but with that satisfaction, He gives us what we need to not be overtaken. As you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus freeing people from disease and disability, freeing people from demonic possession. You can behold the reality of His power over physical and spiritual elements. And it is that power that uniquely belongs to God that is available for me and for you in overcoming the indulgence of our flesh. When we use fleshly means to address a spiritual problem, we're fighting a losing battle. Instead, we seek the aid of our faithful and almighty Savior to fight a spiritual battle that He's already won. He is invincible. Don't settle for a shadow that cannot provide deliverance. Instead, Receive from Christ all that He is. All that He offers. And He offers these things Himself at no cost to you. He's already made the once for all payment. And He invites us to seek Him. That's what chapter 3 begins to draw our attention to. Seek Him. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. That's where your life is, hidden with Christ in God. And then when Christ, 
who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. That is where your life is. He is the source and substance of all that we are and all that we need. Changing our affections from these lesser cravings that never satisfy and that I can't stop based upon the don't do this and don't do that. He says, there's a better way. Look. Look up. See who He is. See what He's done. See what He provides in Himself. He's absolutely enough. Don't, don't settle for a shadow. Enjoy the substance of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for all You are, all that You've done, how You've provided for us abundantly in Your Son and our Savior. What a joy it is to know that You've already accomplished everything that's necessary for us. We pray that You would help us not to allow our minds to be deceived or turned toward lesser things. Help us to see the value of all You are in Christ. All that You've provided for us. Help us to rest and receive from Him. And we pray, Father, that through that You would transform us, bringing a growth that comes from You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.